warning! The Bone Bad Joe is intended for adults only and contains bad words and other yucky stuff that may make some people very angry. So watch out! Hot chicks and sci-fi book picks Say what pisses you off, tell us a joke about dicks In the mix you got the desk, not telling you where it's at Stephen Gord, oh my lord, bowing down to bone bat Podcasting your asses in nerdy masterful classes Speak the speak of the geek to all the internet masses Take your glasses off the set, I'm dropping bombs on your dome In your home, pull your bootstraps up, it's time to burn chrome Dirty jokes from the nerdy blokes Chewing on them Kirby loads Of that quirky counterculture wrapped up in their wordy show B-movie holy men, wombat metalhead Politics, eh? Amen, independent artist friend, renaissance casters of the full fan spectrum, nonchalant notables break through the bedlam of bullshit, quick wit, credits of the populace, Vulcan with some Romulus, rolling prime like Optimus. Big teeth you have. Ooh, that's not all.
what's up everybody welcome to episode 129 of the bone bat show this is steve this is corn how's it going man yeah it's going pretty well it's going as well as it can be considering i've just embarrassed my wife in front of the entire neighborhood how did you do that here's the thing my lovely wife was working in the garage she had power tools out she was she was going to town she was making stuff but the one thing she did not have going on was music and it was a nice sunny day nice outside she had the garage doors open quiet neighborhood going on outside kids playing basketball in the street and i said hey you want me to put on some music for you sure so i got my old ipod plugged into this boom box in the garage and i just i haven't turned it on in forever I just zipped to the playlist, and the first playlist I went to that had a song that she likes, like at the top of the playlist, I just hit play and walked out. And so she was in there working, and music was booming out of the garage and whatnot. Much later, she is elsewhere. She's going back and forth from the garage to the backyard and then coming back into the garage. She's out of the garage, and a song comes on on the playlist. I believe the name of the song is Jizz in My Pants. (laughs) I've forgotten all about what I'd put on this playlist. And so she got to entertain the neighborhood with that. My guess was going to be Pants by Here Come the Mummies. There's a lot of things I could have put on there. There's a lot of worse things I could have put on there. Oh, yeah, I've heard your Christmas discs. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) However, she's a nice person, and I mortified her because she didn't really realize what was going on until it was far too late. (laughs) So I've done that. Other than that, I'm pretty good. Well, you know, when it comes to music, you can do a lot better, my friend. Tonight on the show, you haven't heard them here on the Bone Bad Show since all the way back in 2008. Episode 17 of the Bone Bad Show is last time we featured the Twistin' Tarantulas from Detroit, Michigan. They are back with a brand new album, the subtle, sophisticated sounds of the Twisted Tarantulas. And, uh... It's awesome to be able to play their music on the show once again. We open the show with the song Dog Track and Nova. And we're going to be speaking with Pistol Pete himself a little bit later in the show. So we've got that. Plus, this is also our epic once a year Bone Bat Comedy of Horrors Film Festival preview. It is epic. We've got interviews with director Lowell Dean of Wolf Cop. Yeah. Bravo. And director Brandon Basham of Fear Town, USA. Also, yeah. So nothing but fantastic stuff for you folks. I hope you dig the show. But first, before we get into all that, Gord. Steve. What pisses you off? Two things, Steve. The first thing that pisses me off, and I think it pisses you off too, is when we're working on a Google Doc together, you and me, and we've got all these movies we're trying to put in various different orders and the Google Doc stops syncing. Because then a well-oiled machine of decision-making, the wheels fall completely off. They you do. and I are trying to do this, and you're like, how about this change? I'm like, I don't see a change. And then it, it immediately becomes you telling me that I'm a dumbass because I'm doing something wrong. 90% of the time, that would be correct. But that, I was doing nothing wrong. That is the Google most. Doc not that syncing. is the most fucking projecting thing I have heard in your life. It's always you who are like, oh, you're fucking up, dude. You're fucking up again. Are we not recording yet? We should have been podcasting 10 minutes ago. Your default is that I'm fucking up when it comes to the tech. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's right. I'm telling you. Yeah, we've been doing this long enough. That's, oh, yeah. That's no mystery. Really annoying. But in I this case, it was not me fucking up. It was the Googles. It was the Googles. The, the Googles, Googles were, were fucking up. up. They were totally fucking up. Yeah. You know, if you were to place a bet, <laughs> the smart money would be that I'm going to blame you. <laughs> yes. And then okay. the follow-up bet is, it's actually my fault. <laughs> that's where the smart money is. However, that if you would have put all your money on that, you would have lost all your money. That's right. Because it was the Googles. It was the Googles, definitely. Item wow. two. Okay. I tried to two. go on a mandate. A mandate. Seen, Hold on. A mandate. I hadn't mandate. seen my friend in a while. And he lives about an hour away. We said, hey, let's just meet up halfway. Let's go see. It follows. And then let's go grab a pizza or something and hang out and catch up. Okay. Sounds cool, right? Sounds yeah, like a great sounds idea. Sounds like a great idea. My lovely wife is home so she can take care of the kids. I am free. I get in my car, drive not 15 minutes. I get a text from him. Dude, not, oh, gonna be, oh, just not gonna happen. Suddenly all caught up in work. So not only do I not see him and I don't see a movie, I gotta turn my butt around to go back home. Why couldn't you have gone to see a movie alone? I guess I could have, but I didn't want to drive, you know, half an hour away to, yeah, I don't know. I just felt like, you know, I'm just gonna go back home. I could have seen a movie back home. Yeah, because then we could talk about It Follows rather than just uh, me yeah. talking about it during Multimedia Trio. Well, I didn't want to drive all the way to Fairfield and then sit in the parking lot and wait. So I'm feeling kind of like a little bit aggro about that, but hey, shit happens. Not five minutes into my drive back, just bumper to bumper stopped traffic. Where there should be 70 mile an hour traffic, it is moving at like five miles an hour. So okay. now my, my eating is jacked, and I'm stuck in traffic, and I'm really getting aggravated about that. I get a little further up the road. What do I see? A horrific accident. Like, the kind of accident where the paramedics are kind of standing there and shrugging because there's not really anything they can do. <laughs> I cannot even feel sorry for myself. It's like, oh, no, you think you're having a bad day, Gordon? That's a bad day. Pisses me off. I can't. I cannot have a proper mandate. I cannot properly feel sorry for myself. And damn, you can freaking die out there like that. Just like, damn. Damn. I'm in a weird space tonight, Steve. <laughs> I hear you. What about you? What pisses you off? Well, you know, last weekend, uh, my children are both into the animes and the manga. Yes. And uh, so the, the Sakura Khan anime convention, manga convention, came around as it does once each year. And both my kids want to go. Now, my daughter, she plans for it. Like, a year in advance. Yeah, I knew she was really into yeah, this. She, I did she, not know this about your son. She gets her babysitting money, and she puts it down and buys her tickets in advance. She does the cosplaying, which is like 96% of what goes on there. And my son wanted to go as well. And so I was like, all right, well, you know, I don't take you to that much like this. Your sister kind of gets to go to Crypticon, and she gets to go to a lot of things. So I wasn't doing anything, so I'll take you. So we go. And, you know, it's not really my jam. There's some anime that I like, but yeah. it's, you know, it's not really my scene. Cosplay's a really big thing there. And Explain to me the cosplay because I've never quite got the appeal. 
it's I mean, interesting because there's like a whole subculture around it. You put on your clothes and then you what? I don't. I don't you wander around and you two. bump into other people who are wearing clothes from the same show, and then you shout with them, and it's like this big social thing. It's you have something in common. And so they'll go and they'll do like a photo shoot with everybody who's at the convention who's dressed like that particular show. And so my daughter was dressed as a character from Attack on Titan. And so there's there's like, you know, hundreds of people that are dressed up like that. And so when they bump into each other, they can talk. And her friend is into something called Hitalia, which is like a, a League of Nations sort of comedy show. That it's about kind of World War II and Axis powers and the Allies and how they get along and how they don't, blah, blah, blah. And so it was interesting, though, because she made the comment that the Italian people, when they bump into each other, like in the hallway, they'll be like, oh, you know, like long lost friends. And Attack on Titan people are not like that at all. They'll just kind of nod at each other and walk by because that's like <laughs> a, a wartime show that's miserable and dark. <laughs> so they have all have like this miserable dark attitude. Anyway, so you all dress up and then ignore each other. That's awesome. Yeah. So so anyway, so that's kind of the interesting thing about Sakurakot, and it was sort of fun. But the thing is, I get there. It's Saturday morning, nine a.m. on day two of the convention. They're out of programs already. Huh? How the fuck do you run out of programs on day two? Pax doesn't run out of programs on day two. Emerald you City. That, that's fucking amateur hour to run out of programs on day two, especially well, when your shorty. tickets cost upwards of fifty bucks. I mean, that's kind of bullshit. So there's yeah. that. Then, so then, after a while, we, we putz around and we watch some anime. I took took my son to see Ultraman Mabius. Oh, dude, Ultraman. When you're eight, Ultraman is bitching when you're watching it on Captain Cosmic. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's not so good when you're an adult. <laughs> my son turns to me and he goes, did this used to be good? And I said, probably not. But we did watch some Cowboy Bebop, which was freaking awesome. That's still a cool show. That holds up. Yeah. Anyway, so then we go and we decide to get some lunch. Now, there's a subway, as you know, because you've eaten at that subway, the subway at Pax on the top of the escalators, right? You go there, and what is the deal? You order a sandwich there. Say it's a foot-long sandwich. They give you one napkin in the bag. And when you ask if you can have more napkins, they treat you like you're an asshole. Well, Steve, you are kind of an asshole. No, it's a big, messy sandwich. Give me more than one napkin. So that pissed me off. Then we go outside, and you know there's that, like, courtyard area outside the convention center where you can sit kind of on a little sidewalk thing and eat your sandwich and get some fresh air. And so there's, like, nobody within 30 yards of us, and then this motherfucker who comes outside and wants to smoke comes and stands right on top of us and smokes his cigarette while we're eating. Dude, that is such an asshole move. There's like tons of park here. What Go smoke the fuck over there. I don't want to eat your smoke. So yeah, have, these I are the little annoyances. Smoke, and they're they are like just crazy courteous about it. They, <laughs> right. I mean, they're they're really try not to have their smoke impact people. But there's this this subculture I think of smokers that are still like the big I'll smoke uh, eat it <laughs> smokers. I hate those people. And I'm not even hardcore against smokers. I mean, I kind of think it should be your God-given right to smoke in a freaking club. You know, if I'm in a club or as a concert, I think you should be able to smoke in there. The law doesn't think that, but I would be fine with it because I think that's the kind of place you go to smoke. But, I totally agree. But if I I'm sitting away from people... Yeah, but if I'm sitting away from people trying to eat a sandwich, don't fucking come smoke in my pocket. That sucks. And that you know what I do in that situation, is what though? pisses me off. What? Invariably. I just keep one in reserve just in case. 
if that happens to me, I just let loose a hellacious fart. <laughs> I just start farting right next to them. You, you keep them. I, see. I do, yeah. I've got like a sort of a fart magazine in a, I had installed in my lower intestine. <laughs> nice. You got to clean that out every once in a while. Though. I, I guess you'd have to. <laughs> I've got a cleaning kit. It's a long brush. So isn't that celery? Isn't that <laughs> isn't celery the colon's toothbrush? I heard that somewhere. <laughs> a, a comic book called Devil Chef back in the day. Celery is the colon's toothbrush. That's that's what I hear. Yes. Why don't I own a trucker hat with that on? I don't know. Why why don't you? <laughs> All right, dude. Well, why don't we listen to a tune? Let's do that. This is a brand new cut from the Twisting Tarantulas. I hope I fall at Walmart. Is it almost 
time. It's like a face. It kind of looks like you. Ooh, try to stop over the breed. Do some investigating. I think I'm myself when I'm a wolf. You did seem like freakishly strong. You had those claws and those teeth. Plus, you know, you were drunk, so I knew it was you. Hello? Hello. My. What big teeth you have. Hmm. That's not all. Tell him what you told me. He was a big wolf cop. Lou, you're a wolf cop. Yeah, I'm the wolf cop. cop, cop. Yeah, I'm the wolf cop. cop, cop. Hello, Carl. All right, once again, we are back. Uh, that tune was Hope I Fall at Walmart by the Twist and Tarantulas off their brand new release, The Subtle Sophisticated Sounds of the Twist and Tarantulas. And joining us now, we are thrilled to present the director of our feature film for the 2015 Bonebat Comedy of Horrors Film Fest, Lowell Dean. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Oh, welcome yeah. to the show. I gotta say, as Gordon just mentioned, we are so thrilled to be able to feature Wolf Cop at this year's festival. I'm thrilled to have it there, especially for a sold-out, uh, inebriated crowd. <laughs> it's going to be a great time. So That's tell what we're all about. <laughs> so tell us, how did you get the idea for Wolf Cop? It's such an interesting idea that, you know, it sort of has a, like a superhero-y thing going on, but it's also a horror movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I am a big superhero geek, so... I grew up with those things, and I think they kind of just seeped into my desire to make a horror film. So it's kind of just this weird uh, smash together of genres. I, I couldn't decide, truthfully, what I wanted to see more, a horror film or a messed up superhero film. So uh, <laughs> hence Wolf Cop was born. Well, that's really cool. And I think that one of the things that, that is cool about it is you had the opportunity in this case to kind of express your vision as both the writer and the director. You're making this happen from soup to nuts with your team. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was definitely a rare experience, and uh, I, I won't lie, it was a little daunting, you know, especially like the very first day that Wolf Cop arrived on set. My first reaction wasn't, he looks cool, it was, oh my god, what have I done? So I'm glad that people <laughs> are reacting to it well. Now, we hear all kinds of different origin stories, in a way, about how independent films are made. Now, you partnered with a group called Sinaku, correct, to make this film happen? Yeah, it's, uh, it's actually a really uh, unique new model that Sinaku has for making films and truthfully I didn't know anything about it at the time. I was I was hoping to follow in the footsteps of people who I admire like Sam Raimi who mm -hmm. before he made The Evil Dead uh, he made a short film and he used that to attract funders and get the movie made so myself and my partners Echolands Creative who are the Saskatchewan producers uh, we teamed up and we said let's shoot a concept trailer so we did that and then uh, we were just starting to figure out how the heck we're gonna raise money to get this movie made when we read online about this thing called Sinaku and we're like, what the hell is this? And it was, I mean, the best way I can describe it is it's kind of like American Idol for filmmaking. 
where they ask, give us your trailers. We're going to put them online. We're going to show the world your ideas and whichever ones are the most popular、uh, or the most marketable or seem to have the biggest reach. We're going to get together at the end of three months. We're going to make that movie. So we got fortunate enough. And at the end of three months, we had our trailer. We put it in. We fought tooth and nail for three months and we got lucky. Wow, that's amazing. So, so was it just one film that they chose, or did they choose a few films? No, I mean, they optioned a few, but、uh, to date, Wolf Cop is the only one that actually got into production and、uh, got into theaters, which was another part of what Cinecoup offered was, you know, the, the golden carrot for any filmmaker is we'll guarantee your movie plays in theaters. So they partnered with the Canadian chain Cineplex, and we got to see Wolf Cop in theaters last year. That is fantastic.、Amazing. Yeah. Did you have to mobilize legions of friends and family and whatnot to be voting for this? Yes. Or did it, it, wow. That must have been a three month nail biting effort to get that to happen. <laughs> I, I honestly compare it to like a political campaign, except,、uh, you know, we, we was always like in a weird way, like a smear campaign <laughs> because we were, <laughs> you know, we're not, we're not、uh, trashing, talking to the other teams. You know, we tried to keep it very positive. But, you know, we, we rather than hide skeletons in the closet, we were bringing them out. We were saying, <laughs> this is going to be violent. You don't want to show anybody this. It's going to be a lot of sex and swearing. And so it was a really fun political campaign. <laughs> Wait, you, so you were essentially slamming your own movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a, it, that was the way to go. You know, we, we would say, like, you probably want to watch this. It's going to be really violent. It's going to be offensive. You can't take your mom to this. And that was kind of our MO. But people really got behind it. Our home province of Saskatchewan, people were putting up、uh, homemade billboards. People were voting nonstop. There w a s fundraisers, Wolf Cop cookies, you name it. It was, it was a really grassroots campaign. And at times I felt a little bizarre and guilty about it. It's like all these, you know, sweet, the sweetest people in the community wouldn't expect to be saying, go Wolf Cop. <laughs> well, that's awesome because it sort of ties in. I mean, there's a long and honorable history in B horror movies of kind of, you don't want to see this. It will stop your heart. You will、yeah. vomit your guts out if you see Wolf Cop, you know, that kind of thing. All the way back, like Herschel Gordon Lewis and stuff like that. And so it shows that you know your forebears in a little way. That's awesome. Well, truthfully, Steve, you should try to. Lucky. I wish someone would have thrown up in a theater, and then we could have at least promoted that. <laughs> Steve, you should try to run for office like that. Like, just say, you know, I'm a chronic masturbator.、Uh, I'm running for city council. I'm drunk right now. Yeah. <laughs> As、That's、I type this. <laughs> Well, speaking of kind of looking back to your forebears, one of the things I really dig about the movie is the fact that it's, it's kind of a curse based werewolf movie, which you don't see as much these days. Everything is somebody got bit and it runs forward from there, but it has its, its own thing that does really harken back for me to the origins of, you know, Lon Chaney's Wolfman and that sort of thing. Yeah, 100%. I mean, a lot of this was born out of、uh, my frustration in the modern version of werewolves. You know, it's like, Every generation has their,、uh, you know, it's cyclical. You, you have your generation's Batman, and everyone's like, I, you know, I wish I had Adam West. I wish I had Christopher Nolan. And for me, the current werewolf films, I was feeling a little sad that it was like Twilight was this generation's werewolf film. And, you know, things like Underworld, which, you know, have their big audience, but I miss that really old school guy in a suit,、uh, slow, crazy transformation like American Werewolf in London, things、yes. like that. One、I of、really、our favorites. I just wanted to bring、yeah. that back, you know. The, and, but, you know, a little bit of the Teen Wolf, too. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you gave、uh, nods to a lot of、uh, fairy tale werewolf or wolf stories. Yeah. You, you got a little bit of Red Riding Hood in there, a little bit of Three Little Pigs. I didn't notice it. Was there any boy who cried wolf? Yes, there was.、Uh, very early on, Willie tells、uh. him 
his kind of sidekick talks about the boy who cried wolf. And I'm gonna uh, have to watch it. Again. Yeah. Once the script was done, uh, we we did multiple passes, uh, just trying to cram as much horrible, crazy references to everything. <laughs> and if there was a scene that didn't have a reference, like for example, the original robbery scene was just three robbers. And uh, at one point, Jay Jolly, who's the executive producer, uh, said to me, like, do you realize what you're missing here? And I'm like, no. He's like, three robbers, the wolf comes in, what does he do? I'm like, uh, you know, blows them away. And he's like, blows their house down. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> you know, exactly. We are uh, unabashedly punny, and we accept it. Oh, yeah. So I did that. I also miss Listen Remus in there? Raised Sorry. by wolves? Uh, the- yeah, there, I, there is literally everything, not just fairy tale stuff, but direct teen wolf references direct american werewolf you'll see it all i'm gonna uh, watch it again with a wolf eye (laughs) yeah there you go (laughs) well one of the things i've got to ask you man tell me that you actually own the wolf cop mobile i'll tell you who has it leo fafard who played uh, wolf cop has it in his backyard somewhere does he lugaroo has it in his backyard that is awesome and let me tell you, he really is the guru. So uh, I'm sure it's under a tarp, half covered, and he'll. Uh, I just picture him going out with a beer in hand, shirtless, uh, taking it out for a rip. He opens the door, and beer bottles fall out. Yeah. <laughs> that is too cool. At right. least I hope it's there. We'll need it in the sequel. Oh, so oh, I was oh. gonna just ask you about that. So what is next, Lowell? Wolf Cop Two. It sounds like it's gonna happen. So uh, I've already done the script. We've been polishing it. And uh, if all goes well, we'll be shooting it this summer. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah, I'm excited. Well, I got to say, I'm absolutely thrilled again to share your film with our audience. Thank you again for allowing us to be part of it. And one last question. We always like to ask all of our guests on the Bone Bat Show. Lowell, what pisses you off? Uh, I was saying to you earlier, being Canadian, not a lot seems to piss me off. But I will say right now, the thing that's pissing me off, it's still snowing where I live. That kind of sucks. Yeah, I would say. It's horrible. It, it's uh, it's hard to be excited when you're covered under snow. <laughs> I don't know. Unless you're in an igloo. I, I don't know. That could be exciting. But, uh, yeah, then you know. You know it pisses him off, Steve. You've asked for it then. You know? <laughs> Here, I just needed to stop. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, thank you very much again for everything. Thanks, you guys. I really wish I could be there, uh, break a leg, and howl away. We will do so. Thank you.
This is Lowell Dean, director of Wolf Cop, and you're listening to The Bone Bat Show. All right, once again, that tune was I Am The Boy, taking from the album El Destroyo, 2002, from Twist and Tarantulas, Detroit's finest. And joining us now on the show is Pistol Pete Mitgard. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. And it is a cool time to have you on the show because, I mean, right now, the independent horror film It Follows is all the rage. The Tigers have started the season with back-to-back shutouts. And Twist and Tarantulas have a brand new fucking CD out, man. The 313 is red hot. That's right. Yeah, Detroit had a film festival the same weekend the CD release party was in Detroit. How awesome is that? I didn't know the Tigers... I didn't know the Tigers had two shutouts. Yeah. So, thanks for that. I can throw the sports page away now. Uh, there you go. <laughs> so, thank you again for joining us on the show. Now, we last featured Twist and Tarantulas back in 2008, episode 17 of the show. I mean, podcasting-wise, our balls hadn't even dropped yet. And now, we have a chance to revisit you and find out what you've been doing since. And how many episodes are you up to now? <laughs> this is 129. <laughs> and you talked to me on 17. Number 17, yeah. So I got in on the ground floor. Of you this did, operation. yeah. <laughs> the fact well, that we're both still here, I, I think, is a testament, I right? I wish, I wish I'd have listened to the 2008 interview because it's been. We didn't actually interview you. At the time, we traded emails, and we couldn't make an interview happen. So we featured oh, the band okay. on the show, and we talked about the band's history, but we didn't actually mm-hmm. get to talk to you. So that's why this is such a rare treat. Well, it is, because I thought maybe I'd talk, and I'm like, God, I don't even remember what I said if I talked to them. <laughs> you know, where the band was at that time, we were, at that point in time, four or five years since we put a record out. We weren't really a nightclub act anymore. We were doing a lot of car shows and outdoor festivals and indoor car shows and drag racing events. And, I think you had you just know, celebrated had your 15th anniversary. You had a big show surrounding right. that. Right, we played the 15th anniversary at a place out in Pontiac, where actually I grew up, in Pontiac, Michigan. And my original guitar player was back in the band for a little while, for about a year and a half, two years. He had moved back from L.A., so, you know, we had a chance to revisit why it was that he left. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we still love each other, but, you know, it's sort of like Dave and Phil Alvin. We're the best of friends, but we cannot be in a band together. (laughs) Probably, I wouldn't say just creative differences, just an extreme type A personality and me being more of an extreme type B personality, uh-huh. you know. Sure. But it's not all funny like the odd couple. It's a lot <laughs> uglier than that. <laughs> now, yeah, it's 2015, so uh, the last couple of weeks of last year, last two weeks of December, we got together. We went into the rehearsal space on... I think December 21st. So, you know, three, four days before Christmas, we go into the rehearsal space. We only know one song that's going on the record. And the studio is booked on January 10th. It's booked in 20 days. <laughs> Holy shit. That's so a quick writing session. Songs, yeah, you got some work to do. Wow. And I had the songs written, but just roughed in. You know? Oh. We, so we had to get together, figure out, okay, how are we going to start it? How are we going to segue from the verse to the bridge? Are we going to put a lead in it? Are we not going to put a lead guitar in it? So in five short, you know, four or five hour rehearsals, we hammered these songs out. 
And it's weird about this record because it just felt this time like the universe just got out of my way for once. <laughs> All the things that can go wrong that slow the process down, because we had a deadline, and we knew if we got it in the can and a thousand of them pressed before the Detroit Autorama Hot Rod Show, that we'd sell 300 of them in the first week and we'll cover our whole studio budget. Awesome. We'll all be farting through silk, you know? <laughs> it's like, we have to get this done before Autorama, the first weekend in March. So, we had a mission. We had a goal. We had a deadline. You know, deadline's a good motivator, but it also sure. can cause stress and get people fighting with each other, you know what I mean? But it just didn't happen. We got along great. We wrote together well. I got these two young guys in the band now. They're both 24. So the two of them combined aren't as old as me. <laughs> but we got together, and it was like right away, I realized that I had a team to write with, where I wasn't going to have to stand there and make all the decisions. And also, I wasn't going to have to tiptoe around someone's ego, and someone that was going to get mad if I sat the idea down. And some magic happened in that in that rehearsal space and we just had some kind of amazing chemistry that happened there's no fighting or biting in the rehearsal space you know we were practicing hard we were working these arrangements out and we got together and, and did it you know and got along almost shockingly harmoniously <laughs> and got into the studio and recorded the whole thing in four tracking days so six times four 24 hours that is just amazing, tracking. man. And I mean, I'm talking about everything. All the bed tracks, they call it. And then me doing vocals and doing harmony vocals, Carl doing harmony vocals, adding a lead guitar, adding a little rhythm guitar, adding a little acoustic guitar, put a little cowbell in there, and got them done and finished in four days, you know, and basically in 24 hours, so six, you know, four, six hour sessions. And it's the best record I've ever put out, without <laughs> a doubt. And everyone that listens to it agrees. It's the best record I've ever put out. Fantastic. And it's shorter. You know, it's 31 minutes. And I think, you know, it has an energy to it, an uh, urgency. And I think that you hear that in the music. What's surprising to me is that we didn't just get it done. We got it done and it's tight. And usually when a record comes out, at this point, at the point when it, I take the first one out of the shrink wrap, out of the first box on my doorstep and listen to it, all I hear is the things that I regret about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I've heard it so many times and I'm so tired of it that their objectivity is completely gone and all I hear is I wish I'd have sang that different. I wish I'd have played that different. I wish he wouldn't have played that stupid drum fill right there. And I listen to this record and usually by now it's been out for two months, I can't listen to it at all. And I'm listening. I'm still listening to it. Oh, that's fantastic, man! And I'm wa I'm still waiting for that other shoe to drop. Still waiting for that moment where <laughs> I start cringing and going, "Oh, we could have done it." But so far, it hasn't happened. Which is that's never happened. And this is my fourth CD, so <laughs> I didn't listen to anyone about you know. Oh, if I didn't like a song, I would I cut it. I cut it. I cut it. I didn't care. There wasn't some rule this time that I had to have. You know, more than 10 songs. Like, if we end up with only 10 songs, then the record's going to have 10 songs on it. <laughs> I'm not going to put shit on there just so that I have a higher number of songs on the record, which I think I've done in the past. No, I don't believe you know? that for a second. <laughs> well, 
Now, the first CD, for sure, I wouldn't cut in. There's only 11 songs on the first CD, Attack of the Twist and Tarantulas, 1996. Yep. I and it's all great shit. Record. Second CD, Welcome to the World, I'd cut five songs off that record. You know what? That's if the I one do, I don't if have. If I could do it over, I'd cut five songs. Off El Destroyo, there's probably four songs I'd cut. If I could do it over, I'd not have let them go. And they're only on there because I listen to other people. Huh, okay. Oh, no, that's a good song. You need to leave it. <laughs> One of the things that I've noticed, it seems the progression over listening to the last two albums and the songs I've heard off of Subtle Sophisticated Sounds, is that it seems like it's got a little more muscle behind it, a little more distortion, a little more crunch. I mean, I know I'm yeah. getting heavier as I get older. Is that the same case yeah. with Twist and Tarantula's music? Well, if you listen to the other records, there's heavy songs on every one of them. Oh, absolutely. And uh, El Destroyo, yeah, there's Ace a couple. Of Spades, Ace of Spades by Motorhead is on my first album, 1996. <laughs> but, you know, we didn't play it like Motorhead. It was still, you can still tell it's a rockabilly band playing that song. Right, sure. We did get heavy over the years. The, actually, when you talked to me in 2008, George, my original guitar player, was coming back. He came back, and we kind of sounded like the old Tarantulas. And people just didn't care. They weren't having it. And what I realized was that the band had been getting heavier over the years, and only the heavy songs that were on those previous titles were the ones that we were still playing live. So when I went to start writing for a new record last summer, you know, when I realized I was finally going to put a new record out, because I didn't think I was going to for a long time, uh-huh. you know, because of what, how much it cost, and I never felt like I had the right guys anymore. And I got these kids, and they're all excited and all full of energy, and they wanted to do it, and they were ready to roll up their sleeves and put their real work into doing it. Then I'm like, this is an opportunity that could be fleeting, because they're both amazing musicians, and they could come and go. So I knew I had an opportunity that I had to seize. I started writing, but I looked at the main complaint, especially labels and publicists and whatnot, uh, have had about the band is that I put records out that are unfocused. It's their favorite thing to say because it's rockabilly, but it's not a rockabilly band. We play some jump blues, but it's not a jump blues band. There's some punk rock on there, but we're not a punk band. So what is it? And that's what I would get from labels. Wow. I mean, I never got signed. I'm surprised by that yeah. because I, the, the bands that I love most tend to do eclectic, interesting things. I, I've said this repeatedly right. on the show. I love a band that I don't know what the next song is going to sound like when I first right. put that CD in there. And, right. and you and know, that, to that, me, that, that almost sounds like a marketing guy's problem. It shouldn't be the problem of the band to staunch right. their creativity. Right. But, you know, it's, it's such a convoluted market that they need to know where they're going to focus the budget, where they're going to focus the advertising. And if it's all over the place to begin with, then they just don't know where to focus on how getting it played and how getting it sold and where to get it stocked in the bins even. So I understand their part of it, but it is probably the thing that people have always liked the most about the tarantulas, at least in the past, is just what you said, that you never know what we're going to play because we'll do a Motorhead song and and then we'll follow it up with a Tom Waits song. And then we'll play Echo and the Bunnymen. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and then we play five originals that, you know, sound like all these different things, too. So, and I was always proud of that. But over the years, and over hundreds and hundreds and thousands of shows, I looked at what always went over and what, when we just did one hour, what did we do? 
and that is all the heavy stuff from the three titles that were out. We did all the heavier stuff. And the audience that was still left, that was coming to, still coming to see us, were the people that wanted to see us do that. Yeah, okay. So I said, I'm going to put a record out, and for this time it's going to be focused. It's going to have some continuity to it, and it's going to be a rock record. I'm, instead of trying to prove that I have jazz chops and prove <laughs> that I have blues chops and prove that I can write interesting stanzas and, and deep you know, lyrics and, and, and have gospel chops, you know, and maybe this comes with age. I just said, I'm going to do on this record what I'm best at doing. And that is being the MC5 of rockabilly. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great description. What we call arena rockabilly. <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, one of the things I've always liked most about Twist and Tarantulas is kind of the honesty in your music. I mean, a song like Ain't Got All Night works because it's funny, but it's also true. Anybody with a significant mm -hmm. other has been in that position. And I, I think that that comes forward even to a song like I Hope I Fall at Walmart, where you sort of school people on what's going on, but you also have a tongue-in-cheek take on it. If people just hear that title, there's, you know, kind of a misunderstanding about what the song is about. It's really sort of a Robin Hood, only you're not stealing. You're just, I'm just saying in the song, <laughs> I hope I fall. I mean, and who the hell wishes that they're going to break their neck? Right, yeah. You know, that's no, what, of course not. To me, what I laughed about when I wrote the line, I hope I fall and break my neck and make them pay and pay. You know, some people, oh, you're going to sue Walmart, you know, and be white trash and buy an Iroxy or something, you know. <laughs> no, and I didn't see no, it that way I'm at not. all. To me, it was reminiscent of songs like Reverend Horton Heat's Bales of Cocaine. Right. You know, it's I'm a song saying, like that. I want to sue them. I want to fall yeah. and sue them so that I can go to all these people that got put out of business when they put their city place on the edge of town and give them some money because they went out of business. And the Griswold Sporting Goods store that went out of business. And Hughes and Hatcher men's clothing store that went out of business. When they came to town, all these small businesses that had been there, you know, since my time began, they're all gone. I like wrote that song. It took me forever to write. I had the idea mm -hmm. from, you know, like two years ago. A guy was coming out of the gas station at Walmart. I have a confession to make because, if, you know, I have a, a van that burns diesel fuel. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, 15 cents cheaper. Yeah, and everywhere oh, else, and I drive for a living. So, of course, I only bought it a couple of times before I realized that it was shit diesel fuel, that it was substandard diesel fuel, and I got less fuel economy out of it, so I stopped buying it. It wasn't worth the 15 cents. Yeah. Because it was like a low cetane, and probably had some bio mixed in it, and the van didn't run well on it. But that, I was going in, and there was some ice on the step outside where you went in to pay. And I said to this kid, he was probably 17, 18 years old, and I'm like, hey, watch out, there's some ice right there. And he went, man, I hope I fall. <laughs> <laughs> that was, you know, two gave you the impetus three there? years ago. And it planted, it planted a seed, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I hope I, hope I fall. hope I fall. <laughs> I just thought it was funny, and then, you know, I kind of turned it into more of a Robin Hood story, like, I hope I fall so I can sue him, so I can give it back to the people. Yeah. So do you find it hard in a day and age where so many bands front or about or about image? Do you find it hard to maintain that kind of honesty? Oh, image is the hardest, always been the hardest part. You know, we've always had more of a psychability edge than anything else and probably been 
pushed into that category more than than rockabilly because you know the purists will be the first one to tell you that the tarantulas aren't a rockabilly band they love to tell you that we're not a rockabilly band the traditionalists to me i'm like you know i'll just let the amp do the fucking talking <laughs> you know i'll let my fingers on the strings and the strings through the bass and the bass to the amp coming out and then me tearing my throat up into that microphone that's my image, you know. <laughs> what does it sound like? There so, you go. Yeah. The image thing has always been tough. I've never had good pompadour hair. And probably because it's, I was 35 when I started Tarantula, 34, that I was already at the point where I'm like, you know, I, maybe I'm too old to wear bullets around my hips, you know. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> hey, man, if Lemmy can do it, you can do it. Lemmy, well, Lemmy can do it, because he did it first. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. He probably picked, picked those up out in the, laying out in the field in Wales where he grew up. <laughs> you know, leftover remnants from World War II. Yeah, I know he collects stuff like that, so yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Tons and tons of it. <laughs> Never been real strong on the image thing, you know, and I think it's hurt us, because especially when there's a younger crowd, you know, they want all the trimmings. And I understand, man. I mean, you go to a Mexican restaurant, you know, you want to see some sombreros hanging on the wall, right? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I guess so. Okay. The food needs to taste good, too. But, you know, you kind of want the vibe. You want to see some ponchos and sombreros. And it's all part of the package. It's all the aesthetic involved in it. But, you know, it's just heavy and crunchy, like you said, you know, with heavy drums and heavy guitars and and all that. Well, until fucking awesome is a category at the record store, Pete. Right. <laughs> right. They're going to have to put you somewhere, damn it. Right. They need a, a category just bad motherfuckers. <laughs> I like it. That's what it should be. Right. Hard-ass, loud, rock and roll playing motherfuckers from Detroit. <laughs> so I like MC5 and Rockabilly. That's, I've used that for a long, long time to describe it. There's some roots there, but there's a lot of muscle there, and there's a ton of attitude in it. On this record, even more than before, I'm embracing all my punk rock pedigree. Because, mm -hmm. you know, in the 80s in Detroit, I was in the three of the top punk bands in the city on the scene. At one point, all three at the same time. I didn't know that you came yeah, from I, punk rock roots. All right. Oh, man. I, I played in a band called Heresy. Okay. I wasn't the original bass player, but I played in Heresy for three or four years. And Heresy was kind of British, hardcore, like, real similar to, like, Discharge or GBH. Mm -hmm. So I didn't even play upright till I was 30. Till 1990, I never touched an upright bass. Wow. I played bass guitar in all these punk bands. <laughs> and, you know, I was doing Ace of Spades in the early 80s as a cover on the bass guitar. So Heresy was one band. Another band was called Scraps. The Scraps were kind of more American hardcore, like... Uh, kind of, you know, East Coast and West Coast, Misfits meets Dead Kennedys and, and Germs or whatever. And then um, I was in another band for a brief period of time called the Almighty Lumberjacks of Death. <laughs> That's a great name. And I'm remembered for being in that band only because I was in the band right at their peak, right when they kind of crested, you know what I okay. mean? And it was the, the one, like, nine or ten months where they were selling out a big theater once every six or eight weeks, and there were these huge shows, and it was kind of like the very pinnacle of the hardcore scene in Detroit, around 88, I think, right before it started to just die. Wow, okay. 
So everyone's like, you were in the ALB, you were in the ALB. They remember that. And it's like, well, I was only in that band for nine months, though. It just happened to be when they were peaking. You know, the reason I came in is because they had a bass player that wasn't stupid enough to quit his job to go on the road with him. <laughs> he had a good job, you know, as a fight fitter or something like that. And he's like, I'm not quitting my job to go and, you know, play a bunch of bars on the East Coast for no money. Are you kidding? I've been working there six years. So, you know, I came in because I didn't have a job. <laughs> I started playing for him. Wow, well, that's that's yeah. really cool. I had no idea. I, I, I guess I thought you might you had to come from something heavy, just oh. because of like Ace of Spades and a lot of the songs that you guys do do that have that kind of tighter crunch. So right. it makes and a I lot of sense. In every kind of punk band, I mean, that, because ALD was all the lumberjacks. They were kind of like early British punk, you know, okay. like Sam '69 and the Clash first album. Unfortunately, they had pretty strong right-wing kind of vibe to them, which was probably ultimately why I left. Mm. Uh, and there was a lot of drinking and stuff. They were like a heavy drinking band, pouring pitchers on the front row and shit, you know. <laughs> I'm standing there at that point in time, four or five years recovering alcoholic, watching my lead singer pour pitchers of beer on these 12-year-old kids, and they're trying to catch <laughs> oh, it in their mouths. And I'm like, this is fine, but I don't need to be a part of it. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> So uh, you mentioned that you're going to be releasing a vinyl version of Subtle Sophisticated Sounds. So along with that, mm -hmm. uh, what touring plans do you have coming up? Where can our listeners go to see you live? You know, that depends on if your listeners buy the record. <laughs> and you hear that, this, listeners? Buy the record. Time, well, you know, I mean, you're, you're listening to me talk about the 80s and being in bands and all. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's no secret I'm old. I'm going to be 55 in June. I've been doing this a long time. This time around, I'm doing it different only because I have to. I concentrated on putting as good of a record out, especially because I knew it's been 12 years since I put one out, that if I was going to put another one out, it was going to be as good as I possibly can make it. This record, and I've been telling other people, that this is my pet sounds. This is my best record by far I've ever done. I'm more proud of it than anything else I've ever done, but it has to change my circumstances. I'm not going to get in the van, do all this booking myself, and book all the hotels, and you know, worry about the van breaking down. And work, you know, I mean, I'm just not going to do things the way we've always done it. I'm too old. I'm too tired. So the record has to sell. Sure. It has to do some of the work this time. Instead of me getting out there, beating the bushes, trying to sell the record, the record has to sell itself. And I have to get some help because I'm well, just not going to do it myself anymore. Well, you know, I, I, I come back from six, eight, ten weeks on the road and I get back. Everyone else goes home with money in their pocket and I made almost nothing, especially when you consider how much time I put into it. And it takes years off of your life. It's so stressful. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the record sells, the right people hear it, the right attention gets drawn to it, and they come to me and say, dude, you concentrate on getting another record like this out, and we'll help you with everything else. <laughs> I definitely then hope... Then you'll see us. If you don't see Twist and Tarantulas playing in Seattle in the next six months, then you'll know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's all my fault, man. I didn't get enough, enough listeners. Holy shit. Well, you know, I've always regretted the fact, because we lived in Michigan from 95 to 2000. 
and I never knew about you guys when I was there. And I always regret the fact that I never got to see you live when I lived in Ann Arbor. So, you know, right. now and that's that when we were playing in Seattle. Right, exactly. So so now I have an opportunity to, to I hope drive a few new listeners your way and make up for that failing. So I hope we well, can I'll do that what, with this show. Seattle is well there's two two important things that happen in Seattle. The closest thing I've ever had to a hit record is happened in Seattle and that's Ain't Got All Night because Shake the Shack closed his show with it for years and years. Yep. That's why and I first I heard you guys. More Outside of Detroit, where I'm from, and where the band is based, I've sold more CDs in the Seattle area, especially online, because of that. <laughs> I'm certain, yeah. You know, I was constantly getting orders, and, and I didn't know why at first. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's my strongest uh, sales market for online sales, because people hear that song, and I mean, for 10 years, I was selling at least four or five a month. In like Everett and Olympia and Seattle and, you know, as far south as like Eugene and Portland. So that happened. The other thing that happened was we played the tractor on a Sunday night one time for about 12 people. And I did the new Rockney speech in the dressing room like, well, we got to focus on who is here, boys, and not who's not here. Let's get out there and just put on a good show anyways. We got two days off before we play in Portland. You get to finally rest. Let's go out there and do a good show. And we did. And guess what? There's a guy there who works for the state parks of Alaska. And okay. he walks up and says, how would you like to play in Alaska? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever, right? He hands me a card. And I hand him a card. Calls me early that spring. And we go up to Alaska. And we play like four or five gigs inside the parks where they put on these concerts for the, all the kids that work there that they have something to do so they don't get drunk and tear the place apart. But then he booked all these clubs for us. And we had this amazing time up there. And we ended up going up there four times. No shit. That's awesome. Happened. Right. And that happened at the Tractor Tavern in Ballard. And it also proves if anyone ever tries to say that it's not true, the right place at the right time, it's true. You never know who's out there. Now, we could have got up on that stage, dragged our dicks up there, and played like shit because it was only 12 people and felt sorry for ourselves, and that guy would have not cared. We would have walked out of there, and we'd have never gone to Alaska. We went to Alaska four times because of that. That's awesome. So it's true. You don't know who's there. You know, we played a barbecue joint in Detroit one time where we were crammed into this area as big as a walk-in closet. And we were pissed off about it, but we still played good. Uh -huh. Same thing. Dude works for Ameritech, needs a band to put on. They didn't like the band on the cruise ship. They're taking all their top salespeople on a cruise ship. What? And they didn't, they didn't like the bands on the boat. They wanted to bring their own band. Guess what? They brought us. <laughs> I love and we it. only had to play. We got on the cruise, Caribbean cruise, seven days, right? We only had to play twice. Nice. The rest of the time, smoking Cuban cigars. <laughs> Hot tubs, love, exciting and new. <laughs> Come aboard 
we're expecting you. That's fantastic. We're like, I can't believe this, man. How did we end up on a damn cruise ship? Yeah, sometimes fortune smiles on you when you bust your ass. That's that's okay. Oh, yeah. Well, it just proves. You know, we didn't know those guys were sitting there. We're over there in the corner kind of pissing and moaning a little bit because we're tucked into this small area in this barbecue joint. But that's what happens, you know. Someone's sitting there and they're like, hey, what about these guys? It's only three guys, you know, it won't be that much logistics. We'll be able to get their equipment down there easier, it'll be cheaper, blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, it twists and tarantulas on the Caribbean Sea. Moon in Cuba. <laughs> that is shit hot. I'm like, hey, check it out, Cuba. Stick my butt out the porthole. Hear this. Take a look at this, Castro. <laughs> All right, you know, man. Maturity well, level sinks when you're on the road, by the way. I would think so, yeah. all right man well why don't you tell our listeners where they can find your stuff they've heard a couple of cuts off subtle sophisticated sounds they're going to hear a few more where can they go to buy this gem okay the new record right now because i'm imploring people and begging people buy the physical cd that's what we worked hard on to produce that's what we you know the, the sound of it is what we rubber stamp what it sounds like when you put this CD in your stereo system, that's what we wanted the record to sound like. Not what it sounds like after it gets compressed in an MP3 and sold on iTunes. iTunes changes how it sounds, no matter how hard you try. Same thing with the artwork. You know, I went back and forth with pencil sketches and all that before we had finally okayed this awesome artwork that's on the record. You know, we got the guy from Argentina to draw it for us, Saul Rack down in Argentina doesn't even speak English so that made the process even more difficult oh it's a gorgeous you know, cover man that's why it's not uploaded yet we want really want people to buy the CD and buy the vinyl when that comes out later but yeah. buy the CD first <laughs> well I'll put my money where I did I put my money where my mouth is man I ordered I that shit as soon as I you saw know, it you're, you're a radio guy you could I would have just sent you one I'm not, and I'll tell you that now but <laughs> <laughs> Dude, no, we're, what we're about is supporting independent music, and it makes me feel good right. to buy oh, your yeah, CD and, I, you know, and put it in front of our audience. Like, send us a CD. Send us two CDs. It's like, man, yeah, okay, but, you know, they, <laughs> they do cost me money. I mean, I appreciate any airplay I can get, but I do appreciate you buying one. Oh, glad to do so, God man. God knows, you know, the bubble mailer costs me money. The shipping costs me money. The <laughs> CD itself costs me money. You know, it cost us five grand to record and rehearse and press this thing. So, you know, until we've sold 500 of them at 10 bucks a piece, we didn't break even. Yeah, sure. You know, and then now we have all the money that we make off the other 500 is going back into the band, going into the vinyl, and into the self-screen limited edition numbered posters, and blah, you know, on and on and on it goes. And we're still in the red by the end of the year. Yeah. You know, so people think that you're making money off these records when you're not. Because <laughs> you're putting it all forward into more stuff. Yeah. Well, thing like I said, listeners, stuff. go out there and pick up Subtle Sophisticated Sounds. Uh, right. You're going to love it. Go website. Right, www.twistin. That's twistin. Mm, <laughs> with an N. No G. Twisting without a G. Because, you know... In 22 years of having this band, it's been they'll sell a few times. <laughs> I would think, yeah. Because they want to say twisted tarantulas like twisted sister. Or they'll say twisting, and then they'll spell tarantulas wrong. T-R-U-N-T-H-U-L-A. 
tarantulas, and you know, I mean, I've seen every possible misspelling. So, what I say on stage, if you can spell it, you can find it. Make sure you spell it. <laughs> TwistingTarantulas.com is the site. Click on store. Thanks, Squarespace, for making that more difficult. <laughs> Instead of it saying merchandise, it says store. All right, man. You know? Well, uh, the last question we always ask all of our guests here on the Bone Bat Show. Pistol Pete, what pisses you off? What pisses me off is racism. Richard Petty was awesome. Kyle Petty was awesome. Daryl Waltrip was awesome. A.J. Foyt. Mario Andretti. All those guys were great. Who has something against racers? I mean, racing is cool. <laughs> Shirley Noel Downey. Big Daddy Don Garlitz. You know, Art Arfon's Green Monster. Who has a problem with racing? I just don't understand it. I hear about racism all the time. And I'm like, fuck these people. Racing is cool. <laughs> so I get pissed off when I hear about racism. That's why. I got you, man. All right. Well, thank you again so much for joining us on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure to have a chance to talk with you. Why don't you lead us into this next tune, sir? Stage diamond fat kid never missed a show. A story about the legend of a legend of the Detroit punk rock scene. And it's not funny because he's fat. What my wife likes about the story is that he had some honor because what he would do was if someone was being a jackass in the pit, you know, if someone was violating the unwritten etiquette of the mosh pit, once, because once the jocks got in there and started being assholes about it, they ruined it for the other people. Mm -hmm. So stage diving fat kid was too fat to stage dive all night. He'd just get up there once or twice in a show. But it kind of seemed like he would on purpose take some guy out that <laughs> <laughs> was acting like an asshole. And knocking people over on purpose, you know. So he had some honor. He had a purpose. He wasn't just fat and diving. <laughs> so there's some depth to that story. It's just not just a story about a fat guy. Absolutely. All right. That's well, my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, check it out from Twisting Tarantulas, Stage Diving Fat Kid. There is a certain lore of a kid 
right, once again, that was Stage Diving Fat Kid. Take it from the subtle, sophisticated sounds of the Twistin' Tarantulas, their brand new release. Thank you so much to Pistol Pete of the Twistin' Tarantulas for allowing us to play another of their great tunes and for visiting with us on the show. It was great to finally speak with him since we didn't get to do that way back in episode 17. Gord, you got some weird stuff for us this week? I do. From the weird, weird exotic locale of Norman, Oklahoma. What? Yes. So in Norman, Oklahoma, I guess there's a, a new Adam and Eve store there, which is an adult <laughs> novelty boutique, if you know what I mean. It's a dildo store. It is. And there was an Easter weekend protest there by a group of, uh, well, they call themselves the Abolitionist Society of Norman. They are an anti-abortion group. Now, I know what you're thinking. Why is an anti-abortion group out standing outside of a dildo store? Yes, I, because that occurred it, it to me. It is a fact of science that dildos do not lead to abortion. You can look it up in a book. <laughs> so They don't even add to pregnancy. I mean... No, yeah. They, you need you need a pregnancy before you can have a fetus, a fetus before you can have an abortion. None of that comes from a dildo. No, not a, not but a bit. Apparently, the Abolitionist Society... Norman is a group of homeschooled people. We send complaint letters to Steve Holitz. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they ask him, you know, what's up? Why are you protesting? What's your story here? And a spokesman for the group said, uh, and I'm going to quote here. When a young man and a young woman who maybe aren't married or aren't exactly ready to have kids together, they go, they have a fun sex toy. And they're like, hey, let's experiment with this and have a little fun and spice up our sex life. Or have a one-night stand or whatever it is. This is this is quoting Toby Harmon. He says, and then the woman gets pregnant. Where do they go? They go to the abortion clinic three miles down the road. I don't even. Uh, the, the owners of the uh, Adam and Eve store are completely befuddled and slightly alarmed. They came out. Their side of it is, I believe that the store might just be the last stop for some couples before separation <laughs> or divorce. We provide a service to the community to help strengthen families in a matter rejuvenates couples sex life that's what we're here for we're part of our mission so i learned a lot from this story one that adam and eve is a store for strengthening families it's a family value store okay and that apparently although i'm still confused by it dildos cause pregnancies that's it that's norman oklahoma folks i couldn't figure it out maybe you can that's my weird shit all right. Well, why don't we listen to another tune from Twistin' Tarantulas? Let's do that. Since we never get to play Motorhead on the show, here's the aforementioned cover from 1996's Attack of the Twistin' Tarantulas. This is Ace of Spades.
Gentlemen, prepare yourself for the most frightening motion picture of all time. A film experience that will test the limits of how much terror the human mind can handle. Y'all wanna know about Lake Blood, do you? Welcome to Fear Town, USA. Enter a town where dreams become nightmares and nightmares become reality. <coughs> a town where you can have your darkest desires for the price of your soul. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You'll want to run, but you can't escape if you're already dead. You're gonna pay for this. You'll want to hide, but surprise! You're already dead. You'll want to scream, but dead people can't scream! <coughs> to avoid shitting your pants in fear, keep reminding yourself, it's only a movie. It's only a movie. It's only a movie. It's only a series of images rapidly shown in order to create the illusion of movement. But seriously, it's a scripted piece performed by actors and captured on camera. Please do not shit your pants. If you seek terrifying horror, there's an evil amongst us. Sinister satanic rituals. Pure madness. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from? And sexual eroticism. Got my balls all wet and everything. Then take a trip to Fear Town, USA. Oh, shit. Fear Town USA. 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 Terror has a new hometown. <laughs> All right, once again, we are back. And joining us now, the director of our second feature for this year's Bone Bat Comedy of Horrors Film Fest, Fear Town USA, Brandon Bassam. How you doing, man? Hey, what's going on, guys? Doing pretty good. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. It is very cool to have a chance to chat with you about this film, which was one of the most funny, hilarious things we saw all year. And we saw a lot of films this year. Yeah, we had more than 1,200 films that were submitted for uh, our festival. And this was in the very small set of films that made me laugh out loud. In fact, I was watching this in bed. My wife was trying to sleep, and I was waking her up because I kept laughing. <laughs> Usually when there's laughter in my bed, it's because some of the lights are on. She sees me. But that was not the case this time. Yeah, oh, good stuff. So I appreciate that. Hey, I didn't realize it, but I was, I've was i been a fan of yours for a while. You made that short uh, BP Spills Coffee. Yeah, I, I, uh, I co-directed that one with my writing partner, uh, Pete, yeah. 
yeah, I was a crack up years ago, and now I find that you've got a film and it's on my film festival. How awesome is that? It led to something eventually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of tell us about uh, your crew and how Feartown USA got to be made. Well, uh, everybody in Feartown that worked uh, in front of the camera and behind the camera uh, is from the Upright Citizens Brigade in New York City. Uh, everybody's either a regular performer there, a teacher there, or a student there. I teach writing classes there. So that's how I met a lot of people. I, being a, a friend of mine, Ray, who's the, the uh, co-producer who produced the movie with me, we were trying to think of new projects to do. We were like, ah, we've done a ton of web videos, and I don't know if that seems like kind of old hat. Everybody makes them. It doesn't feel that interesting to me. So we started thinking of web series. I don't like web series that much either. Let's do something a little more ambitious. And at first we started off to do like a short film, but then it kept growing and growing and growing. <laughs> um, and then I started rounding up on my friends. I wasn't sure if they would necessarily want to be in it. I'm like, yeah, it's not really any money, and it's going to be a lot of work, but literally everybody was on board from day one. It explains yeah. so much that one of the things I think that we were both taken by is the fact that it's consistently funny throughout. We see so many horror comedies that they're funny for a minute, but they kind of lose it. And it, it is so well written. You have a huge ensemble cast and it jumps back and forth from different folks, but they're all really funny and it stays great throughout the end. And the end is freaking insano. I don't yeah, want to it spoil ends, it. It ends strong. Let's just say that. <laughs> I don't want to spoil it for anybody who's going to see it, but holy shit. What an ending. Yeah, that was the plan. Uh, well, it's it's funny because when we teach, like, uh, I teach sketch writing for a short form. Uh, sketch writing is only, like, usually only three or four minutes. But I try to use a lot of the same techniques we teach for that for a film uh, where it needs to keep building. Uh, we made sure not to go too far too early so we could build to that ending. Oh, and sure. And we wanted to go as far as we could. <laughs> hey, you did. <laughs> Boy, yeah. did you. Um, yeah, and well, our actors are all top-notch. That helps a lot when you have really good actors. Um you give them pretty much anything, and they can turn it into uh, into some, some comedy. Absolutely, yeah. There's just some great stuff in there, and it, I mean, it's it always, uh, I think, a testament to a film when you find yourself quoting it weeks later. <laughs> and we I mean, both have been. Yeah. Like, I hope this is something that like, I'm a big fan of. Like, uh, besides the, the obvious, like the Zucker Brothers movies, the Airplane and Naked Gun, things like that. Um, but also like Top Secret, um, Cannibal the Musical that Trey Parker and Matt Stone made oh, in college. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Um, things that you just kind of find that aren't like real big and you kind of just, you, you they, there's things that stick in your mind. And I really was kind of actively trying to do that. People would quote them, people would have everybody. I, one thing I like about it is lots of people always have a different favorite part. It's not the same part everybody likes every time. Uh, yeah. There's some things that some people don't like, but then another group of people tell me that's their favorite part. Uh, <laughs> that was kind of a, a goal. I mean, this film was an Indiegogo project, right? We did an Indiegogo, it but it didn't really make any money. We were trying to get $15,000 for it. Um, we raised about 6000 but out of that 6000 like two of it was mine. Um, we <laughs> ended up, I ended up spending like 10000 altogether. I maxed out a credit card and then had an income tax refund. <laughs> That's basically where the movie came from. Oh, geez. Well, what money well spent. And then I guess your story goes that the impetus to have this movie happen was really a big middle finger to the director of Garden State, right? <laughs> we kind of made a joke about that. I got into a, this is dumb, but I got into like a Twitter fight with a, with a Zach Braff. Um, yeah. I made this make fun of how much Garden State sucked. And he's like, well, I see one of your movies. You make a movie sometime. <laughs> We'd already been kind of planning this movie before that. We hadn't started shooting or gotten the script finished yet. 
but it wasn't exactly like based entirely because of him, but it was a little bit of extra like, yeah, right, fuck you, buddy. We invited him to the premiere and he did not show up. Well, I just, I didn't know anybody else could hate that movie as much as I did. And then I hear that you did. So that's fantastic. Good man. Oh, yeah, no, it's it's terrible. That's a piece of shit. Yes. Definitely in real life is the type of person that would make Garden State. Yeah, I read something you uh, you wrote or you said. It says, hey, you could forget to take the lens cap off a camera and it'd still be better than Garden State. That movie's <laughs> a huge dick. <laughs> it's funny because I, I was talking to Steve about this earlier. There's some movies that you're kind of supposed to like, and then you watch them and you're like, what the hell? And that was, that was one of the biggest what the hells for me. Like, who said I should enjoy this movie at all? Yeah, I think Because it's kind of indie, but... Uh. Yeah, I'll never get like that time back. Shittier parts of film students or who like it. So if you're into film, you're like, yeah, you should like this. Like, no, no, that's all the wrong parts of it. <laughs> well, we like all the parts of your movie, so absolutely. <laughs> even so the much. parts, even the parts that are only on the screen for like 0.26 seconds. <laughs> I don't see how you can watch this movie live because you can't read like all the posters and all the hilarious shit that is on the screen only a split second. You're gonna have to buy it on video. Yeah, the, the posters and the, the, the anti-RSVP, you know, please RSVP and assure us you're not coming. Yeah, I want it. I, I, I'm also hugely in, influenced by The Simpsons in their golden era where there's just so many jokes in the background. And the more you watch it, the more jokes you get out of it. And we kind of wanted to go for that as much as we could on our budget. Yeah, you succeeded because I had to rewind a few times and go back and look at stuff. <laughs> It'll give our viewers an excuse to see it again after the film fest, which is always a good thing. Um, I would say it is a lot of fun to watch with the crowd. Yeah. Um, oh. There's a lot of jokes you miss when you watch with the crowd, but there's a lot of things that play even bigger uh, with an audience to scream <laughs> or with, yell or be shocked. And with an audience that's been drinking. It's going to be awesome. That's, yeah, midnight movie type thing. Uh, yeah, rowdy <laughs> drunk crowds are what we try to go for. Now, since you have actually made a follow-up as well called The Slashing, correct? Yeah, we, we shot the slashing um, in the summer before we'd actually finished editing uh, Fear Town. Oh, wow. So it was just kind of bang, bang. And you, I've recognized, obviously, a lot of the same actors as well. Oh, yeah. Pretty much. Uh, we only added one. Uh, there's only one actor in um, slashing that was. No, there's two. There's two. Uh, Jesse Vanderberg in the opening of slashing wasn't in. Uh, it wasn't in Fear Town. And Elise Brandau, who plays Ashley in the slashing, wasn't in uh, Fear Town. Oh, OK. Everybody else is, uh, is repeat uh, cast members. And then since then, in addition to being picked up by the Bone Bat Film Festival, you got picked up by Troma for distribution. How cool is that? It's super great. Uh, yeah, Troma picked up both of them. And it was funny because, uh, you know, Troma has a long submission process, and we had sent stuff to them. We didn't have the right posters, the right address, because it came back to us. Like, oh, man, our, oh, our uh, submissions came back. That same day, so Troma reached out to us independently to ask us about the movies. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. Like, I got a Facebook message from somebody who worked there, and he's like, hey, we just saw your movies, really interested. And I'm like, this is insane, because <laughs> I, was, I was just so angry already. So I was like, oh, it's, it's like, could be like a six-month process from never look at the movies, and now we even screwed that up, and then out of nowhere, they come to us. And that was very, very nice. I'm a huge Troma fan. Well, and um, the stuff that they're distributing right now, like Astron 6 and now Anum, they're just distributing some really awesome stuff as well. Yeah, they're uh, kind of doing some uh, new kind of take on their on their on uh, what they're putting out right now. That's very cool, man. Well, so tell us, what is next for Anum? Well, um, right now we're asked to contribute to an anthology called Grindsploitation. A lot of like uh, lower budget uh, horror directors have gotten together and put together an anthology of short like uh, exploitation movies or shorts and uh, tra fake trailers and things like that. 
uh, we're contributing to that uh, segment to that. Um, and then we are also in the, uh, just have just started shooting uh, Crash Two, a sequel to Paul Haggis's Academy Awarding Crash. <laughs> I was going to say a <laughs> sequel to which Crash? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's not no, not the good Crash. Uh, the, the Paul Haggis Academy Award winning crash. The only movie that might be worse than Garden State. <laughs> and so you're making a, a sequel, sequel to it. it. All of our own. Uh, we decided we wanted to go for a more serious dramatic route and win some Oscars. So we're uh, <laughs> making the most dramatic movie ever made. There you go. Well, Fantastic. I've got a friend, sweet little old lady. Like she was my parents' friend when I was a baby. But I stayed kind of close to her throughout my whole life. And she inadvertently saw the wrong crash in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Bud eating scene uh, right out the right out the gate. Yeah, she's like, I couldn't believe this is getting an award. <laughs> <laughs> she's a trooper, though. She stuck with it through the whole film. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are they going to talk about racism? <laughs> <laughs> and why is he boning her auto wound? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. So, dude, again, I just wanted to say thank you so much for allowing us to feature your film in this year's Comedy of Horrors Film Fest. We are absolutely thrilled. And our last question that we always ask all of our guests here on the show, Brandon, what pisses you off? Well, besides Garden State and Crash, um, (laughs) there's so many things. Uh, I guess um, laziness in comedy bothers me a lot. Like, uh, it's all get hard, like, last week, and it's so lazy and phoned in. That always kind of bothers me. Uh, it's like, oh, man, you guys have all these funny people. You have, you know, huge budgets, and you just show up and dick around and just kind of phone it in. Just, ah, people like me. I can just make faces for, like, uh, 90 minutes, and uh, that'll be good enough. That's probably my big. We've tried really hard in both our movies to not do that. Like, let's try to put as much as we can into every section and not just start, like, being lazy and phoning it in and, uh, you know, riffing off of uh, lame jokes. Yeah, you could kind of do a study on that because you, you'll see trailers for films and you're just instantly, I don't want to see that. That looks like a piece of shit. Yeah, you can just and tell yeah, like, oh, they put no effort. But somebody is putting, there's obviously a huge marketing budget on something like that. Yeah, they've, they've just pumped a ton of money into getting, and sometimes it's with really talented people too. And you go, wow, that, why does well, that yeah, look so shitty? You've had people I like and like I know they can do good. It's just, oh, this, they really did not, this took a paycheck on this one. <laughs> But yeah, they spend so much money on marketing. It's like they practically pay you to like go see the movie. Yeah, maybe you reach a level where you like will just read a script, and if there's an even if it's terrible, if there's enough money in it, you'll just do it because it'll yeah, fund I, something I else would. down the line. I'd sell that in a minute. You want to pay you what you're paying Will Ferrell to whatever? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you again for joining us on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thanks, man. This, this is great. And again, I really appreciate. It. I saw that. I just, Look, they say we're on the schedule with Wolf Cop, which I was also very excited by. Yeah, no, we're we're th- absolutely like, thrilled with the lineup. That's kind of an honor for us to be right next to it on uh, on your uh, web page. That, and we've got 35 shorts from around the world, chosen out of 1,200. So very, it's going to be a great time. Well, thank you again, and uh, keep us informed as to what you do next. We'll do, guys. Thanks again. Okay. All right, thanks.
Pistol Pete from the Twisting Tarantulas here in Detroit. You're listening to the Bone Bat Show. Lucky you. Do yourself a favor. Keep listening. Maybe you'll hear one of our songs. And it'll blow your mind. All right. Once again, thank you so much to Brandon Bassam for joining us on the show. Meanwhile, that last tune was She's Evil, taken from 1999's Welcome to Our Underworld, which is currently only available digitally, as Pistol Pete mentioned, but you can find it if you look for it. Gord, uh, multimedia triage, man. Multimedia triage. Well, not not a lot of media for me this time around. I didn't get to see it follow, so don't wreck it for me. I did see it follow, so why don't we talk about that right now? Do it. Here's what I dig about that movie. It is a movie that is kind of 
the concept is not particularly complicated. It is simple and well done, and it's tense and scary. And it's a low-budget film, and I was cheering for that thing the whole way. And at the end, it doesn't like spoon-feed you with answers. We walked out of, that, out of the movie, and we were talking about it for the next hour. I, I don't know what more you could ask from a film. Uh, a low-budget film that really works, and I had a great time watching it, and so did my wife. We went out for Mexican food, had some awesome Mexican food, some margaritas, went and saw a horror movie. Right there, that's living. That's living large. Yeah, it's I great. I do that. And I thoroughly enjoyed. I enjoyed It Follows. Also from Detroit. So look at this. Brand new Twist and Tarantulas album. New horror movie that's all the hotness. Detroit's rocking, man. This is the Detroit episode. I guess so. The only new thing I've gotten into, and it's not all that new, is I bought the early access Besieged on Steam. What is Besieged? Have you played that? I have not. It is a... Uh, Building physics game, which I know you're already bored and you're, you're turned to look at your phone and play something else. But So like you, Siege Towers or? Yeah, exactly. Okay. It's, it gives you a, an objective like destroy 90% of everything on the screen. And you've got essentially Legos you can put together, sort of Minecrafty, But you put together your Siege engine and you've got powered wheels and wheels that just roll. And you've got bars and struts and springs and flamethrowers and cannons and bombs and flaming stones and things. And you, you attack the problem of destroying whatever you need to destroy in any way you see fit. So you can make something that flies over and drops a bomb. You can make a catapult. All that matters is you complete the mission. Your, your device does not have to survive. And it's wonderful and it's bloody and it's chaotic. <laughs> and when you destroy stuff, half the time you're device that you make will, will break apart, get shot up by arrows, get caught on fire before you finish killing everything. But then the pieces go spinning around and finish the mission for you. It's just a whole lot of destruction. It's essentially building a sandcastle and then gathering things to destroy the sandcastle. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> nice. Besieged. It's like seven bucks on Steam and there's a lot to it. And it's really fun to play with your kids because I've got two kids who think two totally different ways. Kid A will make a car that's got shocks and saws on the front. It steers with front steering and back steering, and it can go up ramps and things. And the other kid essentially just makes the biggest bomb he possibly can and then detonates it. It's, <laughs> you know, more than one way to skin a cat or destroy a castle, as the case may be. Very cool. Well, that sounds fun. I, I kind of like tower defense anyway. Well, it's and not this tower sounds defense. like a different kind of twist on that. So that's cool. It's tower offense. Tower offense. There you go. Yeah. Again, a twist, right? Didn't I just say a twist? That? I think like I said tarantula. it with the words in my mouth. That's pretty good. And then I've been playing the the uh, DLC for Borderlands prequel, the Claptastic Voyage. Oh, yeah. I gotta I gotta get on that. You go inside Claptrap's mind. What's you? I think you were the ones who, who who said it best. As soon as the film festival's over, I'm going to play some games. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So tell us about Claptrap's Voyage. How is it? Yeah, well, it's fun. I mean, it's more of the game. You either like the game or you don't. And if you don't like the game, I don't know what the hell's wrong with you. But you you go into Claptrap's inner workings in his mind. You're digitized and you know miniaturized and sent inside his inner guts to try to find the source code 
for Handsome Jack. And there's new monsters to shoot. There's new guns. The guns are glitchy and turn into ones and zeros. It's pretty fun. <laughs> That's it's, funny. It's cute. And you fight bits and viruses and all the stuff that annoys you on an actual computer in real life. You get to go inside and, and fight virtually. Sort of like the Fantastic Voyage. If you recall, when we were kids, there was that movie yes. where the guys got really miniature and they had to go inside the human body to do surgery in a submarine. Oh, wait. Yes. That's what the Archer finale is. Don't ruin it for me. I have not seen it yet. I'm not going to tell you I'm more still than that. back on the episode where it That's has the, the, the low-key uh, animation on how the gang should kidnap Archer's baby and kill it. <laughs> So I'm I'm like a couple episodes back. So don't ruin it for me. Blame it on the Germans. <laughs> yeah, you gotta catch up. That stuff is strong right up until the very end. Yeah, they're all on my DVR, so it's just a matter of having the time to get to it. I shall not spoiler it. Speaking of games, though, you're playing a lot of stuff. Uh, this Saturday is the third Bone Battle Gaming Tournament, dude. Oh my gosh! I'm so bummed that you can't be here for this. I know. I live too far away, or you, you live too do. far away. Yeah, or we have to have I don't know game tournaments in Davis or something. But uh, we got five games this year. Let me run them down for you. First of all, our sponsor Paizo has presented the newest version of Pathfinder Adventure card game, Skulls and Shackles. Might I interest you in a deck-based role-playing game with pirates? Fuck yeah! Much better than a deck-based role-playing game with pirates. You yeah, tried to talk th- me into that one. That it was would not be. Fun. Yeah, that's that right there, pure comedy. Well done. Anyway, <laughs> it's timing. Game number two from Iron Cap Games Angry Sheep, which is a, a game you uh, roll dice and sheep and you try to snatch them from your opponents, and the person who ends up with all the sheep at the end wins. It's a very brisk, kind of fun game. Uh, it sounds like something you'd like uh, if you were maybe in Wales. From Z Man Games. Pandemic Contagion. So this is kind of the flip. It is a card game of Pandemic, but you are the virus trying to oh. eradicate mankind, which is totally fun. Yeah. Uh, game number four is a game from Yellow Games. It's called Night of the Grand Octopus, where you vie against other cultists to invoke the Cephalogod in order to a very Lovecraftian but cute at the same time. The art is fantastic. Totally fun game. Takes about 20 minutes to play, and it, it's a, an elimination game. So it's perfect for a game tournament like the Bone Battle. That sounds great. And finally, the fifth game in this year's uh, Bone Battle Gaming Tournament is Epic Spell Wars from Cryptozoic which is a game I picked up last year at PAX. Uh, Since then, it's been featured on tabletop. It's all the hotness. And what it is, is you basically play an evil wizard. The art is totally garish. Think of a heavy metal version of Adventure Time. That's the art. It's great. And you play spells, and you have to cast them, and they're totally ridiculously titled. So it's totally a fun game. So that's the fifth game that we're going to be playing. So five games. The winner wins two tickets to this year's sold-out Bone Bat Comedy of Horrors Film Fest. Sold out. Sold Not out. Not available dude. in any stores. That was insane how that went down, man. Because we thought, you know, last year we we did sell out, but we sold out like the day before. It was It was very close. This year, a month before, we were sold out of tickets. We were totally taken by surprise. I mean, a lot of that is... 
fans who have loved what we've done in previous years and came back and stepped up early and did the Kickstarter. And a lot of it is people who wanted to see the Pine Box Boys. We've got some people flying up from California to see Pine Box Boys, man. We're not talking about me. We're talking about actual people. This is a great band, and it's going to be so fun to see them sandwiched amongst a bunch of fantastic comedy horror films. I'm so excited. It's only like two weeks away, dude. It's going to happen. You've got your plane ticket, right? Uh-huh. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. We've got t-shirts. We've got buttons. Buttons this year. Oh, man. We've got a lot of great stuff. So I hope that you are going to be joining us there at the 5th Comedy Forest Film Fest. Anything else, dude, for triage? Nah, that's about all the triage I'm doing. Alrighty, well, why don't we do one more tune? This is from the subtle, sophisticated sounds of the Twisted Tarantulas, Thick Skull. This is uh, Brandon Bassam, director of Fear Town USA and the Slashening, and uh, you're listening to The Bone Bat Show. Once again, that was Thick Skull from Twistin' Tarantulas. Go to their website, twistintarantulas.com, and buy the brand new album. They worked so hard to make it for you. Why not give them a few bucks, pick it up, and enjoy? Hey, you know what's interesting? 
We've done physics. nerdcore. We've done ska. We've done rockabilly. We haven't done metal in over three episodes. That's amazing. All you people sure bitching about Steve plays metal. too much heavy metal on the Bone Bad Show. How about that? How about it? All right. Once again, I'd like to thank Lowell Dean, director of Wolf Cop, Pistol Pete Mitgard of the Twist and Tarantulas, and Brandon Bassam from Fear Town USA for joining us on the show. Our usual bullshit. You can reach the Bone Bad Show at 425-296-6557 or via email to steve at bonehand.com. You can find my stuff at mightywombat.com. And we're on the Facebook. We're on the Facebook and we're on the Twitters. So we're go to the, the Facebook feed. We both have a Bone Bat show where we do comedy and fun stuff. And sometimes we send you sweet deals. The event page, I'm doing a trailer of the day. So we give you just a little taste. I won't give you a whole movie, but I'll give you a little taste of each of the shorts that we've got coming this year. Now, you know just what? Just a tip. I was talking to somebody who says he doesn't even read the press release. He doesn't go to our website. He wants to be surprised. He doesn't want to know at all what we're going to show with the shorts. I think that's pretty sweet. Surprise! There's no film festival. (laughs) (laughs) And the Pine Box Boys, dude. Oh, I cannot wait. Lester Ross, Graveside Quartet. It's going to be huge. It's going to be a great time. And the Bone Battle this Saturday. Gaming goodness. Gaming goodness. We've got a lot of good stuff going on, my friend. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. So we got that. We've got the Facebook page. We've got the Facebook event page. We're also on Twitter at BoneBat. You can follow us there. I am also BoneHand on Twitter. I am uh, Mighty underscore Wombat. Speaking of Mighty Wombat, go to my site. Go to the Buy Stuff page and buy one of my new Cthulhu Republic t-shirts or sweatshirts. Okay. They're pretty badass. I got I to gotta admit. He posted this on Facebook. It was so freaking cool. It's like the California flag, but the bear has a great big tentacle head. And there's a little evil star replacing the California star in the top corner. I ordered the hoodie. I'm sporting that shit around Seattle, and you should too. Where can you get that, Gord? You go to MightyWombat.com, and you click on the Buy Stuff link, and then it'll take you to my crappy-ass cafe press page. You'll see it there. But it makes a nice hoodie, and they did a good job. It's a nice heavy hoodie, good silk screen. They didn't cheap out on it. It looks excellent. Yeah. I get comments every time I wear my shirt. People and you don't even like and it. you don't even have the hoodie, man. Of course, you live no, in California. What do you need a hoodie, hoodie for? It's like 95 degrees there. You don't need that yeah. shit. We're not having uh, weather here anymore. Yeah, we have the weathers up here in Seattle. Uh, and I think that's about it. Uh, one last tune from Twist and Tarantulas. Okay, I can't resist. It's been since episode 17 since we've played this tune. But it is maybe my favorite Twist and Tarantulas tune of all time. It was the first Twist and Tarantulas tune I ever heard. This song is universal if you have a significant other I swear to God, the one, the only from the attack of Twist and Tarantulas, 1996, ain't got all night. Once again, I'm Steve. This is Gord. And until next time, have a good one. I do have a good one. But we don't have all night. When I know you want to look pretty, and I know you want to smell nice. And I know you want to make all the other girls jealous, baby. But we ain't got all night.
liquor store well, Come on, the party's way to come on Stop your hesitating, come on You're taking too much time We still gotta stop and get a bottle of wine Well, I know that you wanna look pretty And I know you wanna smell nice And I know you got a reputation But we ain't got all night Come on, baby though is uh pretty freaking good chipino <laughs> clam chowder love clam chowder yeah. big fan of clam God, chowder. it's like a fish stew it's great it is chipino's okay but it doesn't have enough clam in it <laughs> i know you're all about the clam i am i as often as i can get some clam i do oh yeah well if you get chipino with a lot of clam in it you just really reach in there with both hands and it's it's like a soup that you eat with a cracker, <laughs> a crab cracker. You're busting shells and eating crab and clam and mussel. Mm. 